Hey everybody, this is Deborah Morganfield, wife of the late great Mojo Morganfield, and you're listening to his music on a brand new show in Scotland, Galti and the Gators Blues.
Good afternoon, good morning, good evening and good night. Uh, this is the Blues and New Show. Normally Guilty and the Gator, but the Gator's off being famous. And uh, and I'm flying solo today. So, I hope you enjoyed that. That was Mojo Morganfield with It's Good To Be King. Cracking playlist for us today. And we're going to have a wee look. We're going to do a wee history lesson here. Um, which is what I enjoy the most, to be fair. Um, so... We have a wee uh, trio of people that I'm introducing you to. Some of you will already know all about them. Um, and we're starting off with Alan Lomax. Um, then we'll have a wee bit of Mississippi Fred McDowell and some Lead Belly or vice versa. Depends on how the mood takes us. So I hope you are looking forward to the show. I am a wee bit, uh, not nervous, but um, a, bit a bit different for me doing it without my usual uh Kick, you know, partner in crime, the gator, Mr. Ian Donald. Um, but as I said, loads of uh, stuff going on in his world right now, so um, you've just got me. So, Alan Lomax, some of you may have heard of him, some of you may not. Um, he spent almost 70 years as a folklorist and uh, he went around collecting, archiving, and analysing folk songs and music in America. His career began way back in 1933 when his father, John Lomax, was asked to be the new head of the Archive of American Folk Song, which had been established at the Library of Congress in 1928. So in this role, the the older Lomax took charge of a large um, repository of manuscripts and cylinders, and soon after taking over, John enlisted his son Alan's aid in expanding the collection through disc recordings. And after several years of collecting, Alan became the archive's assistant in charge in 1937. Um, He continued to make field trips and create recordings for the Library of Congress until 1942. So he would either go alone or he would go with his father and um, he spent these um, Library of Congress years travelling all over the United States carrying an instantaneous disc recorder and often a camera and his signature field trips included some of the earliest to document traditional music in Louisiana including Cajun music in Michigan, the, the Midwest including music of numerous European ethnic communities and in the American South including ballads and fiddle tunes of the Af- Appalachian Mountains and blues from the Mississippi Delta. So one of his musical friends who came along to help was Pete Seeger, who is often called the archive's first intern, and he worked at the library with Alan in the late 1930s and assisted him with the field collecting in the South. So along with important collaborators including Seeger, his father John Lomax, his wife Elizabeth and colleagues from other institutions such as Fisk University's John Wesley um, work third, Alan was the first to record uh, Huddy Led Belly um, Led Better, McKinley Muddy Waters Morganfield, David Honeyboy Edwards, Aunt Molly Jackson and an enormous number of other significant traditional musicians um, also Mississippi Fred McDowell so um, hence the whole actual reason this came about I don't know if anybody was tuned into our podcast earlier in the week we did a wee live moment um, but I uh, I love Mississippi Fred McDowell and um, I suffer terrible insomnia on and off and during one of the bouts of that um, when we Ian and I would sit and watch documentaries and uh, like a bit of serial killer documentary and music documentaries and um, he'd fallen asleep and I was bored stupid so I started watching some 
Mississippi Fred McDowell stuff and that's what I thought I'm doing my show on that um, but that led me to, to you know to think well let's include a bit of Alan Lomax and Lead Belly so some of the music that we've got today are from um, musicians that Alan Lomax disc- say discovered they were rediscovered and made popular in the outer world away from um, you know the south they were already discovered in the south um, but he brought their music to people that may never have heard him so we have him to thank because without him um, we may never have known about Muddy Waters or Lead Belly or um, Honey Boy Edwards, none of these people, you know, um, I mean, he was, as I said, lots of music. It, it must have been, imagine having that as a job. How amazing would that be? But, um, you know, so without him, we may never have known a lot of the, the music that that we take for granted today. Um, so, you know, at the Library of Congress, he worked to bring folk music to nationwide popular audiences. And with his father and on his own, he published books, including... American ballads and folk songs, uh, Negro folk songs as sung by Led Bailey and Our Singing Country with Rude Crawford Seeger. He produced radio shows for the Columbia Broadcasting System, which were among the earliest uh, to present folk music to national audiences. And such figures as Seeger, Led Bailey, um, these were regulars on his programmes. So he did fantastic work in the, the, the music industry as it was then. And as I said, we have him to thank for for us hearing this and introducing different music um, on a national level that then influenced other music that, you know, that, as I said, we all take kind of for granted, I suppose. Um, but that's where I'm going with this today. So I hope I hope you stick around since it's just me. There's not going to be the usual uh, let me speak and, uh, and the <laughs> normal um, minor disagreements shall we say on air but um we will be back at it next week i i am absolutely certain and um i can't remember what what show we've got lined up we've got so many ideas and we've got a few that we need to catch up on from when i was poorly so i think we've got like a month of shows that we already had in the bag uh as in interviewed people to to do them we've got um Women of Blues, European Blues. I think we had another Guitar Masters one to do. So, mm-hmm. and that, because of me, we fell a wee bit behind. But we'll get there. Um, we have, In the meantime, I have to say uh, that the Gator has been busy chatting to uh, Susan Tedeschi of the Tedeschi Trucks Band. I'm kind of jealous, I'm not going to lie. Um, although she did say, you know, she hopes I feel better soon. So I, I do still feel like the favourite. <laughs> despite the fact she's never spoken to me uh, he spoke to Larkin Poe he spoke to Deke Rivers, now that didn't go out on the radio but he did do a live podcast with Deke Rivers that should be quite interesting for you to check out if you are at all interested he photographs and his photographs are stunning but he photographs um, all the blues players and uh, and uh, he's just such an interesting guy so it was um, what the blues looks like so that was quite an interesting one to listen to. Um, I'm trying to think who else he's spoken to. He's done a live podcast with Nick's Grace of the Terra Plains uh, Blues Band. They are in Bristol. Bristol? I want to say Bristol. Um, that was interesting. Now, I will say if he's doing a live podcast, uh, do be prepared for the odd swear word because he's awful. I mean, how he gets through a two-hour radio show without swearing... A lot is beyond me, but he does. Um, 
but he's, uh, when he doesn't have to, he doesn't even attempt to not. So <laughs> it's, it's quite bad. Uh, but yeah, so we've got loads of, of people that he's managed to have conversations with. We're going to be talking to Charlie Musselwhite, which is fantastic. And I can't remember who else we've got lined up, to be honest. Uh, but I do believe we're speaking to one of Muddy Waters' children as well at some point. So that would be cool. And... um. I just throw in a wee reminder here that if you keep an eye on the Goldie and the Gator Facebook page and the Gator Facebook page, uh, we are going to be doing fundraisers to get to Mississippi next October for the Alice May uh, Blues Festival. Um, and that is run by Gary Burnside, who's the son of the late great R.L. Burnside, who was the feature in our very first radio show uh, Hill Country Blues and my own show that I did two weeks ago I talked about him a bit as well because um, he was very prevalent in um, Holly Springs with Junior Kimbra and the juke joint of all juke joints so my show Transatlantic Juke Joints was all about that and the one we have here that I am aware of uh, I think there's another one in Leeds but I'm, I don't know anything about that uh, but the ranch in Yorkshire our very own juke joint which is a fantastic venue we are heading back down there in July and I do believe again in August so um, it feels very authentic although you know we're Scottish <laughs> Um, but you do have this sense of going back in time and experiencing what it would have been like um, at the end of the night they do a big jam session up the stairs and anybody can get up and just take part if you can play or sing or um, you know and it's it's such a I can't even describe the atmosphere but it, you know to have one of my friends actually on social media said that he uh, had been to Junior Kimbra's juke joint when him and Ariel Burnside were playing there and I, I just honestly I would have loved to have just visited once um, so slight green eyed monster there but honestly I, I'd love to speak to him more and find out how cool that would have been um, so yeah that's me waffled on and done my bit right we've got some muddy waters himself we had um, Mojo Morganfield It's Good To Be King who is of course um he was the son of Muddy Waters, still as the son, although he passed away uh, December 2020, which is absolutely heartbreaking. His wife is adorably gorgeous, so such a lovely person. And and that's who you heard introducing our show at the, at the start. Um, and now we'll have some Muddy Waters. I also have um, some Mud Morganfield on the show today as well. Um, so, you, you know, we've got a wee family affair here. But I hope you enjoy this Mississippi Delta Blues and I will be back shortly. I feel like, like blowing my horn. 
Well, now, woke up this morning, all I had was gone. Went to the ocean, ocean running into the sea. But don't find my baby, somebody gone. Show bury me. <laughs> Brooks went to the ocean, man, that ocean went to the sea. Well, now, I don't find my baby. Somebody sure gon' bury me
Hello, uh, that was Me and the Devil Blues by um, Blackstone Jerry. <laughs> had a wee brain dead moment there. Um, obviously a cover. And before that we had Easy Payton with I Love You. Um, mainly because the window cleaner turned up and my little dog is going bananas. Um, so you get a wee extra one there. Uh, so back to Alan Lomax um, because it's such an interesting topic today, for me anyway, hopefully for you too. Um, which encompasses our back-to-back tracks today are from Mississippi Fred McDowell and Led Belly, who I'm also talking about. And um, I'm all excited because I love this. So he, um, Lomax, worked with Led Belly and is considered the first extended biography of an American folk musician. It made him realise the importance of documenting not only music but also the stories that went with it. Um, He became a pioneer of recording oral stories of vernacular musicians which came to fruition in the eight hours of music and spoken recollections of Ferdinand Jelly Roll Morton that he recorded at the library in 1938. He recorded four hours using the same oral history format with Woody Guthrie in 1940 and did similar uh, recordings with other legendary folk singers, including Vera Ward, um, Vera Ward Hall, rather, sorry, Memphis Slim, Big Bill Brunsey and Sonny Boy Williamson. These recordings became the basis of books, radio programmes, record albums and even Broadway shows, expanding the practice of oral history into the realm of popular culture. He also pioneered the recording of Man on the Street interviews after the attack on Pearl Harbour, which were later the inspiration for such projects such as Story Corps and AFC's September 11, 2001 documentary project. Um, so in the, the 30s and 40s, he frequently worked with musicians um, and concert organisers in New York and elsewhere bringing folk music to the stage. These productions included a landmark benefit concert for Dust Bowl mig- Migrants sorry, held at the Forest Theatre in New York in March 1940. One of the performances was the stage debut of Pete Seeger and another was by um, an Oklahoma man named Woody Guthrie, who Lomax hadn't met at that point. After making his acquaintance, Lomax arranged the first extended recording session for Guthrie, um, the results of which are among the treasures of the AFC archive. And he also introduced Guthrie and Seeger, who became good friends and later travelled across the country together. Um, He left the Library of Congress in 1942 to work for the Office of War Information and the Armed Forces Radio Service, um, producing folk music programming. He also worked with the BBC and other producers, bringing American folk music to Allied troops. One of his projects was Transatlantic Call, People to People, in which um, he and Douglas Bridson, um, I think it's Bridson, Brideson, I'm not sure, I'm never very good at unless I hear somebody's name. Um, presented man on the street interviews on both sides of the Atlantic from all over Britain and the US and another was the Martins um, and the Coys, a radio play written by his wife Elizabeth and starring Woody Guthrie. Um, also starred Burl Ives and Pete Seeker. It was about a kind of a family feud in the southern mountains whose um, participants decided to bury the hatchet and fight Hitler instead of one another. And when the war was over, uh, Lomax spent several years working with the People's Song Organization in New York, for whom he organised concerts such as Blues at Midnight, Ballads at Midnight, Calypso at Midnight and Calypso After Midnight. 
He also worked on folk music projects for Decca Records and for the Mutual Broadcasting Network. So he had some career, some life as well. I mean, you know, imagine getting up in the morning and that's what you were doing. That would be so cool. Um, in the 1950s, the political climate became difficult for for Lomax. His association with leftist organisations such as the Steinbach Committee to aid farm workers and people's song and his personal connections with Seeger and other suspected communists put him squarely in the sights of the blacklist. He appeared in red channels, which made it difficult for him to find work. As a result, he hopped over here and uh, actually moved to England and spent the next eight years recording traditional music in Europe instead of North America. He worked extensively with the BBC bringing American, British and European folk music to British audiences with the BBC's backing and that of Columbia Records for whom he produced the Columbia Anthology of World and Primitive Music. Um, he also collected traditional music in England and he also discovered a Gaelic singer um, you know, he's he's been all over. He went to um, England uh, with Peter Kennedy and Ireland with Seamus Innes and Scotland with Hamish Henderson. And he recorded on the European continent, especially in Italy, where he recorded with... Um, whose name has just totally escaped me, sorry. And he was in Spain um, where he worked with Eduardo Torner. So he returned to the US in 1958 and um, and continued what he was doing to collect traditional music and his famous Southern Journey field trip of 1959 to 1960 resulted in early stereo field recordings of blues, ballads, fiddle tunes and gospel as well as little known traditions such as African American fife and drum bands. I love that. We have yet to bring that to our show but it will be coming, trust me. It is something that is oh it's just amazing and it is I've got this kind of hint of Scottish about it. Um, you know, I just honestly you'll love it. If you've not checked it out, I highly recommend you do. Um ring and, uh, ring shout and related traditions from the Georgia Sea Islands and dance music played on uh various instruments and an American it's like there's a an instrument called is it the quills the quills quillis it's it's like a kind of pan pipes type instrument anyway and selections from these recordings were released on the atlantic and prestige labels in the 1960s um and even on other labels in the 90s um so it made them you know among the most wild, widely known field recordings in the world um, and he also collected throughout the Caribbean. So he just kind of bobbed about, you know, collecting music. <laughs> How cool would that be? Um, alongside these projects, he became more and more fascinated with analysing the traditional music. His trips to Europe and to the Caribbean gave him this comparative perspective. And this grew um, in the 60s to a mythology he referred to as performance style studios. Studies. Studies. The di- this it's like um, it kind of took it all together and, and his aim basically was to objectively describe and analyse the world's music, dance, speech traditions and correlate them with other aspects of culture um, so these remained his major analytical projects for the rest of his life yielding books such as Canto Metrics and Folk Song 
style and culture and documentary films such as dance and human history step style palm play and the longest trail so from the 1970s until he retired in 96 he continued his work as a collector and commentator and he returned to some of his greatest collection collecting locales with video crews to create television programs when we got you know instead of recordings such as american patchwork um, he also conceived um, of multimedia projects such as the Global Jukebox, a database of traditional music and dance performances, which included metadata informed by <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to make a mess of this choreometric and cantometric analysis. Yay! I think I got there. Allowing the user to explore the intersections of song style, dance style and culture. Um, all this work was supported by a foundation he established in 1983, the Association for Cultural Equity, which still manages <coughs> the intellectual property rights to many of his recordings and maintains a website. So you can go and check it out. Um, it presents some of his greatest collections and his work wasn't even confined to earth. In 1977, he was a consultant to someone uh, Carol Sagan and assisted in putting together a playlist of great recordings including a wide variety of traditional song and music which were launched into outer space aboard the space probe Voyager now you couldn't say that you would not be happy with your work if that's what you were up to eh? um, so we're going to have another wee song here this is Mud Morganfield uh, Son of Muddy and this is Praise Him, enjoy <laughs> Saving me, for saving me. 
Stones with their cover of You Gotta Move, which was, of course, a Mississippi Fred McDowell song, um, who we are going to be talking about any moment now. Uh, so we will just finish off uh, discussing Alan Lomax. Um, what a man. He retired in 1996 and he died in 2002. In 2004, through the generosity of an anonymous donor, the American Folklife Centre at the Library of Congress acquired the Alan Lomax collection, which comprises all the material that he collected after he left the library in 1942. So, with that acquisition, the American Folklife Centre was able to bring the entire life's work of this extraordinary collector uh, together under one roof. So during his lifetime, he received many honours and awards, including the National Medal of Arts, the National Book Critics Circle Award for his book, The Land Where the Blues Began, a special Grammy Award in 2002 for his lifelong contributions to music, and a Living Legend Award from the Library of Congress. Um, so Bob Dylan once said, Alan was one of those who unlocked the secrets of this kind of music. So if we've got anyone to thank, it's Alan. Um, I think what I'm going to do is, as we're listening to music and what have you, I'm going to compile a wee list of his books and any documentaries. And then I'll, I'll give you them at the end. So if you're like me and sitting here thinking, I'm going to read that book and I want to get that book and I want to watch that, um, you'll have a wee list of them there. Or alternatively, if you don't catch it, send me a message on Go to Inigator and I will give it to you that way. Um, so we're going to move on to Lead Belly. Um, or you can call him a lead belly or lead belly. <laughs> but um, he was Huddy William Leadbetter. Uh, now, there's two stories of how he got his name. One is he was shot in the stomach and the other was um, he worked in chain gangs when he was in prison and he worked really, really hard and quite quickly. So I think uh, probably the first, but nobody really really knows so he was born somewhere uh, January the 21st possibly 1885 he was born on a plantation near Mooringsport Louisiana and he died in December uh, 1949 in New York he was an American folk blues singer, songwriter and guitarist whose ability to perform a vast repertoire of songs in a variety of styles in conjunction with his notoriously violent life, made him an absolute legend. Uh, see when you see him, it just it doesn't look like you know. You can't imagine that that's the kind of background he would be coming from. Musical, yes, but the violent side of it, it just it doesn't. You look at him and think, nah. Um, so he was very musical from a young age. He played accordion and um, he moved to a 12-string guitar, bass and harmonica. He led a wandering life, learning songs by absorbing oral tradition. And for a time, he worked as a musician with Blind Lemon Jefferson, who is somebody else that I am so interested in and, uh, and got lost for a few hours researching and reading all about it. In 1918, he was imprisoned in Texas for murder. So, according to tradition, he won his early re release in 1925 by singing a song for the governor of Texas when he visited the prison. Um, there are songs that has... We actually discussed this uh, when we did a wee live podcast and uh, Tuesday and we discussed this because there's a lot of his songs that you 
you know, he doesn't get credit for and uh, that you'll know. One of the ones I've got on today, actually, um, Nirvana covered and I'm not sure because they changed it. It's called Where Did You Sleep Last Night? And did they? Did they call it that? Oh, I can't remember. Yes, I think they did. Did they? Anyway, um, it's his song and there's quite a few that other uh, artists and bands have, have taken on and he's never been given recognition of it. Or if he has, it's been in the smallest print ever and nobody knows. A wee bit like uh, what's going on now with Running Up That Hill. Placebo released that. F- I love the cover. Absolutely amazing cover. Um, but there's a lot of people that thought it was Placebo's song and didn't realise that that's not the case. It was a wee Kate Bush number. Um, so it's been made famous again, I think, from some TV programme or something. Um, I just know that it's became quite popular again. And uh, and there's there's many people that had no idea that it was her, so it happens quite a lot, I think. Um, however, he, Mister Led Bailey here, resumed a life of drifting in 1930. He was convicted of attempted murder, and imprisoned in uh, the Angola, Louisiana prison farm. And there, he was discovered by John Lomax and Alan Lomax, who were collecting songs for the Library of Congress, as I was saying. So a campaign was uh, spearheaded by the Lomaxes and got his release in 1934. And after this, he embarked on a concert tour of Eastern Colleges. Um, Subsequently, the Lomaxes published 48 of his songs together with commentary Negro folk songs as sung by Led Belly, 1936. Um, He performed and recorded extensively. He also uh, appeared on the radio show with Alan Lomax quite regularly as well. If you remember, I did mention that earlier. Um, so, he um, his first commercial recordings uh, were made for the American Record Corporation, which did not take advantage of his huge folk repertoire, but rather encouraged him to sing blues. Um, he decided to settle in New York City in 1937 and he struggled to make enough money. In 1939 to 1940, he was jailed again for assault. Um, after he was released, he, previous, he briefly worked with Woody Guthrie, uh, Sonny Terry, Brownie McGee and others as the headline singers performed on radio. And in 1945, he appeared in a short film, uh, in 1949, shortly before his death, he gave a concert in Paris. So it was kind of, I mean, honestly, it just, you wouldn't look at him and think <laughs> it was, it was that kind of person. And who knows? I mean, I think if you really look into um, um what happened and what have you, maybe not all of it was his own fault because we know what went on in those times. Um, actually was just uh, learning about sundown towns and stuff like that so you know there's there's so much that we here have no idea about and it's that's not as, as we said on our Christmas show um, they're showing off the plantations the, the big homes on the plantations and uh, in round about Christmas they were showing you how our traditional Christmas would have been um, held in these homes by the, the people who lived there um, but they're trying very hard to to you know kind of dismiss the fact that these plantations were also the homes of hundreds of of people who were treated 
inhumanely and were the reason that the plantation owners had these big stately homes. Um, but you know, it's just like, let's forget that dirty bit of our history. And uh, and you know, in Britain, we're as guilty of it as anybody. So it's, I'm not you know picking on Americans. Uh, we were just as bad. And um, in fact, Scotland um, had a prolific part to play in slavery. So you know. Um, but history is history and I think that if we don't talk about it we can't learn from it and we run the risk of it never being any better than it was or never being as good as it should be um, we should be looking at the fact that um, our ancestors treated people despicably just because they didn't look the same or sound the same and that is just revolting and um, you know I, I can't imagine I can't imagine anybody feeling that way about somebody else, but um, I just, you know, it, it still hurts my heart to think about things like that. So, um, but it did happen, and I think that's it. That is what's important. We do have to, you know, kind of discuss it and keep it in the forefront when we're talking about moving forward, because that's what we want to try and never ever go back to. Um, but back to Led Belly. He died penniless, but within six months, his song Goodnight Irene became a million record hit for the singing group The Weavers. See, this is what I mean. Along with other pieces from his repertoire, among them The Midnight Special and Rock Island Line, um, it became a standard. Now, I've got from him, we have got Where Did You Sleep Last Night, as I said, made popular by Nirvana, and we've got Goodnight Irene, the original version from the man himself um, and then we'll have two Mississippi Fred McDowell because we'll go on to him in the second half of the show and we'll also still, you know, still, still be talking about Bit Bit Lead Belly. Um, and if you've got, you know, somebody that you kind of like their music and you would love us to to cover extensively for you and go, um, because I love doing that. That's my thing. I go and research, um, as as much as possible to put our shows together. Uh, Ian the Gator, he has a wealth of information and knowledge about the music, um, and you know who who goes in which genre which bracket which part and uh, but I I like going and finding out all the hidden information um, and bringing that to our listeners so if you've got somebody you know because you know I've got nothing better to do than to spend my time <laughs> researching this but I love it I know it probably sounds like schoolwork, but to me I find it fascinating and when I when I read about it it all just goes in my brain and stays there so for me uh, it, it keeps my brain young and working, so I like it. Um, but he, Led Belly was inducted into the Blues Hall of Fame in 1986 and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1988. Um, in 2015, the Smithsonian Institution's uh, Smithsonian Folkways record label released a five CD box set of his recordings. It's just a shame that you know he wasn't here to see it. Um, his legacy is immense. His recordings reveal his mastery of a great variety of song styles, um, his amazing memory, his um, the, the stuff included, you know, more than five hundred songs. His rhythmic guitar playing, his unique vocal um, vocals, <laughs> um, the accentuations that he made, they make um, his body of work both instructive and compelling and he, he influenced so many musicians um, including Bob Dylan, Janis Joplin, Kurt Cobain as I said um, and dare I say Eric Clapton, oh dear, 
not mentioned him in a while. <laughs> um, but, you know, he did, he influenced so many other musicians and um, and where would we be without that? You know, this is what's important about uh, history, yes, but also um, this music, this music inspired so many other genres that we listen to now and without it, who knows, who knows, where, can you imagine what life would be like? I don't even want to. So we are coming up to our back-to-back tracks. As I said, we have two from Lead Belly, two from Mississippi, Fred McDowell. Um, Where did you sleep last night? Good night, Irene. Baby, please don't go. My baby, she's going to jump and shout. I hope you enjoy it. You won't have to hear me droning on in the middle. And uh, and then when you come back, we'll have another wee look at some Lead Belly info and Mississippi, Fred McDowell. So don't be going anywhere. Your mother for you 
My name is Fred McDowell. They call me Mississippi Fred McDowell. But my home's in Rawford, Tennessee. But it don't make any difference. It sounds good to me. I seem like I'm at home in that when I'm in Mississippi. And I do not play no rock and roll, y'all. I just play the straight natural blues. And whenever you get somebody, you know, want to apply for you, just call for Fred McDowell. You know? I was raised on the farm, you understand? Now, the only way you can rock Fred, you have to put him in a rocking chair. I used to lay me down, you understand? That's my type of rocket. <laughs> In my type of blue, I played with a ball neck. I first got this style from a beef bone, you understand? Red will come out of a steak. My uncle, when I was a small boy in the country, he ground this bone down and filed it with a file and put it on a little plank. But I played on my ring finger, you understand? And it's this ball neck sound better than the bone, cause it get more clear sound out of it. And I, I would like for you to, who's never listened to me? Or if you don't buy one of the tapes, or album, or anything. I like, I like for you listening to what I'm saying. I make the guitar say what I say, young know? If I say I'm a father, he'll say I'm a father. If I give out a hymn, he'll say it. If I play Mason Grace, he'll sing that too. Now that's my style, what you hear me doing that? I hope y'all like it. Who's never get it?
Baby go jump and shout when the train roll up and I come walking out. <laughs> Thank you. 
Well, hello, be lobby when I be your name. I declare, baby, you's a miracle, a miracle pain. some Mississippi Fred McDowell there and uh, with him saying about you know learning on a bone slide if anybody is interested in purchasing one um, uh, Mr Julian McLaughlin Jr bad to the bone slides makes them now and um, so you can purchase no it doesn't go out and like murder animals or anything before anybody has a go at me <laughs> um, but you can you know, purchase them. If you go on to the Gator's Facebook page, actually, you can check out one that um, he made for the Gator himself. And uh, But they look cool. And I think, um, now, don't quote me on this, I think he started making them because he was buying bones for his dog and he thought it'd be a good way, once the dog had finished with it, to use up that wee, you know, that wee scrappy bit that they never actually do anything with it. You end up standing on constantly. So there you go. Um, and... Uh, I've got a wee song coming up just before um, we go back into some good old blues. We've still got some Charlie Patton and some Bessie Smith coming up. But um, I have Ain't Nobody's Daddy um, by Steve Arrow. Sorry, wee bit of a <laughs> brain moment there. Um, and this was um, John Lomax III. He is the son of Alan Lomax and he continued the family business but has he had a major impact in country music. So um, when he came to the right age um, it was songwriters such as Guy Clark and Towns Van Zandt that were making their mark and he moved to Nashville in 1973. So um, he was looking for, you know, you know what it's like, you're looking for um, greener pastures and promising song placements and big country stars and along with Guy and Towns you had songwriters like um, Steve Young and Richard Dobson. Um, so he, you know, kind of went right in there and, and was embedded in with all this. Um, and he later managed Steve Errol from 1983 to 1986 and oversaw Errol's big breakout on MCA Records and the release of the landmark album Guitar Town. Um, Steve Errol was an outsider with a country rock sound getting played on country radio and... Um, he earned Grammy nominations and gold records and once again Lomax was right there when it all went down so it was Steve Arrow that made Nashville realise that they couldn't keep the emerging movement of alternative country at bay so the Lomax family have definitely played a massive part in the music industry completely and uh, and how amazing that the legacy still lives on um, Steve Arrow is one of Ian um, the Gator, his like major songwriting heroes. Um, he's got a unique sound. Most people who haven't heard of him will definitely have heard of Copperhead Road, which is one of his. And um, he's got he's got a great sound. He's got a blues album called I think it's just called Terraplane. Um, and uh, you know, so he actually um. Towns Van Zandt was one of his heroes and he named his son uh, Justin Towns Arrow 
after that, who sadly passed away, and um, but was also a fantastic musician in his own right. So you should definitely check out some of them if you haven't heard of them. So Towns Van Zandt, um, Guy Clark, and uh, Steve Arrow, and his son Justin Towns Arrow. There's a couple of wee ones for you to go and have a listen to uh, for something a wee bit different. There's definitely a, a kind of a blues flavour throughout, but it's very much country rock country alternative country um and it's very poetic if you you take the music away and listen to the lyrics um it's you know the the songs are very poetic and um and perfectly put together so as i said it's maybe not everybody's cup of tea uh because it's not completely blues but they they work hand in hand and they do you know have elements of similarity uh, country songs tend to be more about you know kind of loss and my dog up and died and um, which I think is, is a, an idea that people who don't listen to the blues think that's what that's about where um, we were having a conversation the other night and uh, and a lot of people think the blues should be called the truth um, and I think that would possibly open the music up and would have at the beginning to a, a wider audience because a lot of people just assume it's sad music um, and why would you want to listen to sad music but when you actually stop and think the majority of songs are either about falling in love or breaking up so um, you know a lot of music in all genres is sad <laughs> just you know the the they call this the blues and um, who sang that I guess that's why they call it the blues Anyway, um, but moving on, we have got a wee Steve Arrow number. As I say, we've got some Bessie Smith, A Good Man Is Hard To Find, and some Charlie Patton still to come. We're going to have a look at Mississippi Fred McDowell and uh, and continuing on with a wee bit of info about Lead Belly also. And uh, so it's been great, actually. I've, I was worried about it um, because it's, I've not done a blues one, uh, a blues new show by myself. It's always been with the gator, Galty and the gator after all. But as I said, at the moment he's off being famous elsewhere. <laughs> and uh, He's been on the, the Philippines TV twice. Um, what else is he up to? Gigs here, there and everywhere. And we are fundraising for Mississippi. Uh, this is an amazing opportunity to go to Mississippi and perform at the Alice May Festival. So keep your eyes peeled on the Gators Facebook page and Galti and the Gator because we'll be announcing all the different things. Uh, some of them I'll be doing with him. I'm not sure I could um, claim Demiat with him. However, I don't think my hips and knees are up to that. But, um, you know, I will be participating in some of them with him. Um, he's going to do a sober month and he's he's got loads of ideas and loads of people coming up with new ones and if he reaches his target he is going to put on a night where um he's agreed because it was a suggestion by somebody else to get waxed now if you've met him in person you will know he is a very hairy dude and in fact in his younger years his nickname was Chewbacca so if that gives you any idea <laughs> of the element of pain involved in waxing um, but he says if he reaches his target he'll do it so that's it, we need to all dig deep because that would be a night to remember um, there'll be venue to be con- um, confirmed but we're going to put on some live music 
probably some food and make a whole big thing out of it and uh, and that and as I said he is up for it he says absolutely um, if he reaches his target he will get waxed so you need to go and uh, and have a wee look on his page and see what's going on um, so we're going to have a couple of wee songs for you now as I said Steve Arrow and some Bessie Smith <laughs> on the corner, bleak anchor mine, money in my pocket and the women on my mind. I'm free, can't nobody tie me down, nothing ever worries me, ain't nobody's daddy now. You all see the women on the very finest kind, clacking on them high heels like an engine down the line. I'm free, can't nobody tie me down, nothing ever worries me. Daddy now. I used to have a woman who wear me to death. Hammers in my pocket and a fool was on my neck. And I'm Nobody time down Nothing ever worries me Ain't nobody's daddy now Got a baby on the east side Honey on the west Got a woman up down With the down and girls are best I'm free Ain't nobody time me down Nothing ever worries me Ain't nobody's daddy now Watch this baby Nobody tie me down Nothing ever worries me Ain't nobody's daddy now She's gone and I'm free Ain't nobody tie me down Nothing ever worries me Ain't nobody's daddy And 
But if I ever get on my feet again Then I'll meet my long lost friend It's mighty strange without a doubt Nobody knows you when you down and out I mean when you down and going to put on A Good Man Is Hard To Find but for some reason it would not play so you had uh, a wee bit of something different there nobody knows when you're down and out I hope you enjoyed it um, so we're going to have another wee uh, venture into a huddy Ledbetter also known as Led Belly um, he was immensely talented and he quit school in the 8th grade by the time he was 14 years old, he was a popular musician and a singer in the weekend Suki Jumps and Juke Joints. He was later known as the king of the 12-string guitar um, after seeing a Mexican guitar player playing one. He basically could master any instrument that he wanted to. He played the piano, he played the accordion, he played the guitar, he played bass, um, he uh, played the mandolin, um, the harmonica he was just you know immensely talented anything that he set his mind to do he could and uh, I've got a hair on my face I do apologise I'm trying to find it while still talking at the same time he was so passionate about music it was his way of expressing um, you know how he felt inside and his love of music led him to leave his father's farm at an early age and pursue a music career um, as such so he travelled the southwest playing his guitar and working as a labourer when he had to he was legendary for picking a thousand pounds of cotton a day and lining the railroad tracks um, he once said when I play the women would come around to listen and their men would get angry uh, in 1918 he fought and killed a man in Dallas and was sentenced to 30 years as we said 
um, in Huntsville, Texas. But he wrote a song asking uh, Governor Pat Neff for a pardon. Now, Neff had promised when he was elected never to pardon a prisoner, and he broke his promise and set him free. So back on the road with many new songs that he'd learned um, or written in prison, he again found enthusiastic audiences throughout the South, but as the centre of um, admiring crowds, he was again the target of envy and jealousy. In 1930, after a fight at a party, which was normal in the, the Jim Crow South, he was sentenced to another prison term in the infamous Angola Farm Prison, like I was telling you earlier. And um, to be honest, it was probably not the best way to look at it, but it was probably a stroke of luck because if he hadn't have been there, he might never have been discovered by John and Alan Lomax. Um, so they were recording prison songs for the Library of Common Grace. Uh, so they deliberately went there, and um, and it was Alan um, who brought him to New York, where he played on college campuses. I mean, he went round like Harvard, Princeton, NYU, and people loved him. Um, so you know, he relocated to New York. He for- forged a reputation on the folk circuit, making personal appearances, recording for a variety of labels. Um, he performed with Josh White, Sonny Terry, Brownie McGee, Woody Guthrie and with the aid of the newly invented A Long Playing Record, um, he cut what would later become known as his last sessions, a definitive document of the life and music of the King of the Twelve String Guitar. Uh, Led Belly enjoyed national recognition as a blues and folk musician and singer. I'm imagine getting imprisoned twice and twice not serving your sentence um, and then again for a, another year, it's insane. Um, but he wrote children's songs, he wrote field songs, he wrote ballads, square dance songs, prison songs, folk songs, blues songs. Um, he was a man whose life um, had had its ups and downs, but good or bad, he told the world about the things um, through the songs. So he told the world about the, the good things and the bad things. Now his fame and success continued to increase until he fell ill while on a European tour and tests received that he um he suffered from I can't I can't even remember what it is. It's something like Lou Gehrig's disease. It's uh, some form of sclerosis. And in nineteen this was nineteen forty nine, so the disease destroyed all the muscles in his body, giving him little opportunity to play the guitar without pain. And that's a a tragic way to go, isn't it? And he died in December 1949 and never got to fully enjoy the fruits of his music. So everything, you know, kind of took off after he, you know, um, had successes. But um, if he'd have carried on and lived on, he'd have became quite rich. Um, So the most famous were Midnight Special, Cotton Fields, um, Kisses Sweeter Than Wine, Rock Island Line and there's just loads um his catalog consisted as i said of well over 500 songs and after his death um his song goodnight irene went to number one in the charts not by him of course by the weavers so that became one of the most famous songs in his repertoire um that song sold a million copies and was recorded six months later again by pete seeger and his music still has a great influence on people artists black and white artists like the beatles the rolling stones uh, little richard have all expressed their early studies of music uh, to lead belly's records 
and he's remembered today as not only a musical giant but a legend in his own right. Um, he's remembered as the king of the 12 string guitar and many of his songs can be found in the Library of Congress where generations to come can listen and enjoy them. Um, so, you, I mean, it's, it's amazing when you think um, that even people who possibly don't even know who he is, people that aren't a, a fan of that genre of music, um, a lot of the music that they listen to they probably don't realise, um, you know, like with the Rolling Stones they covered many songs and um, they covered Robert Johnson, um, Fred McDowell, um, you know, so they're listening to songs that they possibly wouldn't even realise uh, is, is the case. So I think actually I will pop a wee Rolling Stones number on I Can't Be Satisfied or say a wee Rolling Stones number but you know what I meant the Rolling Stones singing I Can't Be Satisfied Enjoy! <laughs>
drinking mountain milk Trying to drive my blues away I keep drinking mountain milk Trying to drive my blues away Baby, you just as welcome to my loving As the flowers is in May Molten milk, molten milk Keep rushing to my head Molten milk, molten milk Keep rushing to my head And I have a funny, funny feeling And I'm talking all out my head Baby, fix me one more drink And hug your daddy one more time Baby, fix me one more drink And hug your daddy one more time Keep on stunning my malted milk, mama Until I change my mind Keeps on turning It must be spooks around my bed My donut keeps on turning Must be spooks around my bed I have a warm old feeling And the hair rising on my head Some classic Robert Johnson with malted milk there, who was um, actually who Alan Lomax set out to discover. He'd heard about Robert Johnson and uh, and went out to discover, not knowing that he was a wee bit too late. Uh, But that was how his journey into, you know, the whole blues music um, came around. And uh, and some of the people that we could we could do endless shows on the immense talent that Alan Lomax uncovered and um, and what a guy! Um, I'm not sure I'm going to have time to read out this um, list that I was promising you, but if you are interested, send Gaulty Negator a wee message on Facebook or email us at Gaulty Negator. Gaulty and Negator at gmail.com and uh, and I'll send you the list of uh, books and documentaries etc that you can check out if you're interested. I definitely am. I mean, let's be honest, that's my idea of fun so I'll be doing it. Uh, but we're going to have a look at Mississippi Fred McDowell and uh, he was born in 1904 in Rossville, Tennessee. So <laughs> um, it was a stage name that he got, Mississippi Fred McDowell. You heard from his own fair mouth as I played him earlier on. And um, he was playing the guitar by the age of 14 with a, sli- a slide, which was um, a hollowed out steer bone. And his parents died when he was a youngster. So this wandering life of a travelling musician took hold. Uh, the 1920s saw him playing for tips on the streets in Memphis. Um, 
The hoboing life eventually setting him down in Mississippi, where he lived for the rest of his life. There, he um, split his time between farming and keeping up with his music by playing weekends for various fish fries, picnics, house parties, um, all that kind of thing in the immediate area. And this pattern stayed largely unchanged changed for the next 30 years until he was discovered in 1959 by Alan Lomax. So Lomax was the first to record the semi-professional bluesman, um, the results of which were released as part of an American folk music series on the Atlantic label. McDowell, for his part, was happy to have some sounds on records, um, but continued on with his farming and playing for tips outside of candy stores and um, just looking for spare change. It wasn't um, for some time that um, he was, you know, somebody else came searching for him, um, being the owner of the fledgling, um, oh, I think it's the R. Hooley label. Um, anyway, he, um, you know, his fortunes began to change dramatically here. So, uh, two albums, Fred McDowell Volume 1 and Volume 2, were released on this label in the mid-1960s. And the shockwaves that fell throughout the folk blues community um, were just, it was immense. Here was a bluesman with a repertoire of, on, on, it was, you know, he kind of, it was emotional um it was sort of stripped back blues he did say i'm not a i don't play rock and roll and it wasn't a boast it wasn't saying that he was brilliant he was being honest he was saying it's uh this is this is my music and um this kind of music gets slipped through the cracks in the 20s and the 30s in the field recordings um but you know he he made it and um with there was no romantic stories about him disappearing into the delta for decades at a time to become a professional gambler or a preacher um because mississippi fred mcdowell had been in his adopted home state farming and playing all along and the world coming uh, to his doorstep seemed to ruffle him no more than the little boy down the street delivering the, ro- the local newspaper um the success that he had from these recordings found him very much in demand on the folk and festival circuit where his quiet good-natured uh, performances left many a fan utterly spellbound I, th- I just honestly he's such a fascinating person and uh, and um, excuse me a wee second I'm on the radio okay bye okay okay bye bye <laughs> children uh, so he, you know, he had a few more listings in his resume, a couple more years out there doing these festivals. He did um, American folk blues festivals in Europe. And um, he was also well documented on film with appearances in The Blues Maker, 1968, his own documentary, Fred McDowell, 1969, and Roots of American Music, Country and Urban Music in 1970. Um, by the end of the decade, he was signed to a one-off album uh, for Capitol Records and um, I think it was called I Do Not Play No Rock and Roll. Uh, his tunes were being mainstreamed into the blues rock um, plays like, but you know for artists like Bonnie Ray who recorded several of his tunes um, and the, the Rolling Stones obviously 
Um, so they, you know, had You Got a Move on their Sticky Fingers album. But his career um, didn't last much longer because he was diagnosed with cancer while performing um, dates into 1971. And his playing days suddenly behind him, he lingered for a few months into July 1972 and succumbed to the disease at age 68. But right at the end, he remained true to his word and did not play any rock and roll, just the straight natural blues. Um, as I said, he's absolutely fascinating. There is so much information available that you can go um, and watch documentaries. It was just such a cool dude. Um, you know, the the 50s brought this kind of rise in interest in blues and folk music in America. And he was brought to wider uh, public attention there. And when he was discovered and recorded in 1959 by Alan Lomax, um, his, recu- his records were popular and he did perform at festivals and clubs. Um, but he did prefer um, very much to, to stick to the Mississippi style um, as much as he had for decades and he liked performing on his own doorstep. He sometimes performed on electric guitar rather than acoustic guitar um, even though he, you know, as I said, declared he doesn't play rock and roll. He was not adverse to associating with r- younger rock musicians. He coached Bonnie Ray on slide guitar techniques. He played um, a lot of slide players play with the, the slide on their a pinky finger. Um, he played with it on his ring finger. I think Bonnie Ray plays it on her index finger, actually. Um, but um, you know, he he was out there. He was flattered by the Rolling Stones. Um, that they changed it up a wee bit. But he thought, you know, this is quite cool. Imagine this. You know, this is a a an English. A band that are covering his music because for him it was something that he did you know his life was farming and music was his passion um he toured europe with the american folk blues festival with big mama thornton john lee hooker buddy guy um i mean honestly how awesome would that have been going from being somebody who who plays some music and uh, and does some farming to to suddenly being out there and uh, and touring Europe, you know? So um, he's honestly one of my favourites, and I've I could sit and talk about him for hours on end. I deliberately put him at the end because I thought I'll just waffle on and bore everybody left, right, and centre because you know I just think he's fantastic he was such a, a caring loving person as well and um you know there's there's the, he's so good that um he played his slide guitar using a pocket knife and then um as i said from a bone and then later switched to a glass slide and um he he played for money he did he moved to memphis in 1926 and then he moved to como mississippi and worked as a farmer but played for parties and I think if you can do something um that that you know brings out that passion in you and uh, and and get to do that all your life then you can't ask for much more than that can you to be paid for doing it and making it a career is fantastic but even if you don't you know even if you work doing something else you work in Morrison's or you work as a street sweeper or whatever it may be you know use you can use that time to make connections and um, and as long as you can still do something that you love as well as then you know life isn't that bad um and I think you know this was it back back then um music 
as it is today, it's still very much, you know, I mean, that we, that's what I said about um, the whole lockdown. We were lucky in the sense that we had uh, social media and, and the availability to reach out to people, um, even while we were all stuck at home. And the amount of musicians who turned to social media, who put on free concerts, um, on social media who sometimes charged yes but they still had you know bills to pay food to put on the table children to look after um, the Tedeschi Trucks Band did a fantastic thing and continued paying their musicians throughout it out of their own pocket um, but not everybody was in a situation where they could do that but even at that you know think of the the different musicians that myself just came across during that whole time that I would maybe have never have ever have heard of or come across um you know to be able to now go wow look at all these amazing musicians that that I then got to 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 put on the radio and bring to everybody else um it's just immense and I do think you know music throughout history it has been an escapism it has been a, a thing to bring people together it has been a source of passion it has been an outlet for emotion um and it's just it, it's fantastic it's amazing that there is so much of it around it's amazing that we get to celebrate these people who without them who knows what state our music would be in these days and and to to find out their stories, not just hear their music, um, their music lives on in the covers and um and the availability of the recordings. But to know their story, um, to be able to take part in in a piece of their life, and um and know how they walked, uh, where they walked and what they experienced, and to hear it in their songs and to hear that raw, basic fantastic natural blues um the other blues of today is is forged from is just to me um amazing it just gives us that whole kind of sense of purpose when it comes to it and i love being able to share these stories with people um i hope you've enjoyed today it has been a bit different because it's just been myself but uh, the gate I will be back with is next week when he stopped, uh, you know, jet setting about. I say jet setting about, he's not really going anywhere at the moment, <laughs> but he will be. We will get him to the Mississippi um, and uh, and I'll be there cheering him on as he, he follows his dream. It'll be fantastic. Um, so keep your eyes peeled for these cool things that I'm going to be making him do. He's going to be climbing hills and all sorts. We'll have him fit and whistling at the top of Damiah Hill, playing his guitar, singing his tunes. Um, he'll be um, waxed and preened and everything by the time he gets there. Either that or he'll be uh, worn out and um, in severe pain from being waxed. But no, he's a, he's a great sport and he's going to do anything. He does not want people just to donate money. He wants to, to do his bit to earn the money to, to get there and make his dream come true and uh, and as I said if any of you uh, fancy helping him out in that way if you've got any fundraising ideas even or you know you don't always have to donate if you share um, the different things that he's doing share the link to his Just Giving page and the different challenges that he's setting himself to raise this money that in itself is brilliant and, and appreciated but I am going to leave you today with um a wee Charlie Patton song um, who taught many of the greats um, so you know I had to include him today but this is Moon Going Down so enjoy and uh, and we will be back next week <laughs>
Oh, 